twice during these meetings, and uh, three times, and four times perhaps. So I just thought maybe we'd just start out a little bit, just with a little bit of singing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. doing something? No. Okay. Well, actually, that was a very nice solo. I rather expect everybody to sing. Praise God. Let's see if we got a little bit of um, Howard's favorite song here, and we're just going to go right into that. I've been redeemed, and and I want everybody to be singing now in with that song. Okay, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Filled with the Holy Ghost, I am. All my sins are washed away, I've been redeemed. And that's not all, there's more besides. And that's not all, there's more beside. And that's not all, there's more besides. Been to the river and have been baptized. All my sins are washed away, I've been redeemed. My Lord and I, we are so close. My Lord and I, we are so close. My Lord and I, we are so close. He fills me with this Holy Ghost. All my sins are washed away, I've been redeemed. The devil's mad, and I am glad. The devil's mad, and I am glad. The devil's mad, and I am glad. He lost another soul that he thought he had. All my sins are washed away, I've been redeemed. Hallelujah, we just getting there now. Praise the Lord. Let's see. I've got a joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart, down in my heart, I've got a joy, 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 down in my heart, down in my heart today. I've got the love of Jesus, love of Jesus, down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart, I've got the love of Jesus, love of Jesus, down in my heart. Down in my heart Tuesday, I've got the peace that passeth understanding down in my heart. Down in my heart, down in my heart, I got the peace that passeth understanding down in my heart. 
down in my heart Tuesday. Anybody have another one? I know the devil doesn't like it. I know the I know the devil doesn't like it, but it's down in my heart. Down in my heart, down in my heart. I know the devil doesn't like it, but it's down in my heart. Down in my heart, Tuesday. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, wow. Mm. Lord, in worship, we do praise you, God. We know that you inhabit your praises. We sing the praise of God Almighty. We bless your name, Lord. We bless your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Well, it's wonderful to just to know that he's here. It's just wonderful to know, just to feel his presence. And we do thank you, God. We, we just thank you. Let's just, let's praise God with a clap offering. Can we do that? Praise him. I guess everybody can sit down and I have a feeling he's got something here special this morning. I'm not sure what it is, but I think that uh, that all things done to the glory of God, you know, have a special way of reaching that special person that just needs that touch at that moment. <clears throat> wanted to start out this morning to just correct a couple of things. <laughs> this is pretty good little piece in here. <laughs> and if I was worldly, you know, I'd be, uh, I'd, I wouldn't say a thing about it. <laughs> I do have to correct a couple of things. <laughs> you know, it, it, it sort of indicates that I hold graduate degrees in architecture and engineering. Actually, I don't hold any graduate degrees at all, so I just let you know that I do hold an undergraduate degree. That's in engineering. I am an architect as well as an engineer, being registered in both, but that doesn't really say a whole lot. I'm also a general contractor, having that particular license and a couple other things, but those things really don't matter a whole lot. I think what does matter is that I received a special touch about three years ago. And that's part of what I want to share with you today. How that happened, what it means to me, and what it can mean to the people that I come in contact with, what it can possibly mean to the people that you come in contact with. One other small correction. Um, my parents came to this country in the 20s from Switzerland. I'm going to give you a little background so that you can understand where I'm coming from. They came from Switzerland. 
And being Swiss, they were very proud of the fact that they didn't have a T in their name. <laughs> so I thought I'd make that correction too. <laughs> Schweitzer was spelled S-C-H-W-E-I-Z-E-R. And it's, uh, it simply means a Swiss. A Schweitzer is a Swiss. Uh, being Swiss, my father was brought up in, in a Protestant church, my mother also. They were both Zwingliists. Uh, Zwingli was a contemporary of Calvin. Calvin, all being, uh, the, the fact is, Twingley and Luther were uh, uh, going along the same road very beautifully until about 1524 when they suddenly decided to part company. Calvin then had his primary outreach in Switzerland. If you'll remember back in your Reformation history, most people think, well, he's had to start in, in Scotland or England or at least he just got across the channel to the Netherlands, that's the farthest he got, but he really started in Switzerland. So coming to this country, being that there was no Zwingli church in this country, my parents decided that it was fitting and proper that I should become a Presbyterian with the Calvinist background that, that they had. My parents did not regularly attend church. But it's a rather interesting thing, as, as children we did. Uh, my father was one who felt that it was really necessary for, for his three boys to go to church. And I remember at four and five years old, walking down across the railroad tracks with my, with my two brothers, going to church. We went to a Presbyterian church, very formal Presbyterian church. We didn't raise hands in that Presbyterian church like we do, like we did here this morning, you know, in praise and worship. Now, I remember raising my hand in vacation Bible school once, but that was to be excused from the room, and that was as far as raising hands went in church. And if anybody said amen except the minister, it sure better been God because every eye in the congregation would have focused on that individual. You know, it's, it's sort of funny how, how we get into very kind of formal postures and how we get comfortable with that which we're used to. You know, I, I can see what would have happened here this morning if Jesus had simply walked into this room I think there would have been 35 people just prone on the ground, you know, praising and worshiping God. I look back at that Presbyterian church and if Jesus had walked into a meeting there, I could just see the, the uh, elders getting up and <clears throat> straightening themselves. How do you do, Jesus? I've admired your work. You know, the formality was, was really strained in that situation. And that's where I grew up. That's where I grew up. 
because I was comfortable in that particular atmosphere and I, I started singing in church choirs when I was 14 years old uh, and uh, my voice seemed to change very early so I was accepted into the the adult choirs and I sang and and uh, I spent 20 25 years singing in in the church choirs participating in church programs doing all the things that people in church do going to the programs meeting people and uh, uh, going to all the services my parents came to church when their children were participating in this some given program generally that's about the only times that they came to church but I have a feeling that my father was really disenchanted more than anything else with the hierarchy that man had created around the church not with the hypocrisy that grows within it but what just what man made out of it and in later years he used to have uh, my old minister who was at that church for 40 years used to come around to our house though he'd never seen my father in church he used to come around the house and sit down and and talk to dad about various things related to to his church to his people to his sheep and and was surprised at some of the things my father shared with him but I don't think my father was a Christian don't know but I don't think so We came from a, I came from a very intellectual household. My father was a, was a doctor of philosophy, taught at the University of Maryland for about 30 years, learned seven languages. The common thing that to occur around the kitchen table, around the dining room table on a Sunday afternoon in the middle of winter in Maryland was to simply discuss the philosophers with, with whom I soon became very familiar. These were dad's life, dad's love. I think that was almost two strikes against me right there. First, my Presbyterian background, and then the intellectual pursuits as a young man. I think each time I began to move in those directions, the walls between God and myself were built higher and higher and higher. Each time I participated in one of these special, quote, church functions, I added another brick to that wall. And I think it's a miracle of God that I'm standing before you right now today. The simple fact that he moved down and he said, Mark, it's time. I want you. No one ever told me to really get serious about God. No one said to me, Mark, what is it? What is this life all about? What are you seeking? What is... But you know something? I continually was looking, and as I, as I, in retrospect, as I look back upon where I was and what I was doing, I was always looking, somehow, for something that was beyond the mountain. 
I read the Bible. Primarily, I read the Bible to discover how I could explain away all those miracles. <laughs> I was not at all comfortable with all those miracles. <laughs> and I figured there had to be some good logical explanation for them. Coming from my good technical engineering background, my formal education told me that logic is supreme. So therefore, there's got to be some reason, some way that that happened. And this is really interesting because it is it, it throws in the face of another aspect of my youth, another thing which, uh, which I had grown up with, and that was with the presence of the supernatural. My parents came from Europe. My parents came from the old country. My father used to tell me ghost stories, things that happened to him, things that were real. And I didn't doubt that. I, didn't, I lived in a house in, in, in Indiana for a year and a half when my father and mother went back to, to Switzerland with the junior year program from the University of Maryland. I went to live with my aunt in Indiana. And I, that was a haunted house. My brother Niels came down the stairs one time and, and saw through the window and the street light in the background the piano was playing. There wasn't anybody sitting there. The, the old lady, the grandmother, used to appear from the waist up, frighten everybody to death. Now, I never saw any of these things, but these things were happening while I was there. And so I knew the reality of the supernatural. And yet I was standing there trying to explain away all the supernatural of God. And how often we do that. I said, well, that miracle, feed the 5,000, well, okay, they were all shamed into doing that. You know, that was, and every time I got to a new uh, explanation for a miracle, you know, that was a new milestone for me. Well, what happened then, as in all my seeking, and all the things that I was trying to do, trying to find out, trying to probe, what was I doing here? Why in the world am I standing here? Well, I began to seek in, in, in areas of the supernatural. I began to read extensively in, in the area of reincarnation. Spiritual surgery. Have you ever been through that? I have. Have you ever told fortunes? I told fortunes with tarot cards one time. Scared the life out of me how accurately I told fortunes. In fact, it scared me so badly I never picked the cards up again. Astrology, that used to be a real bag for me. Used to, you know, just, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun there in astrology. Mm. Finally, after inviting Satan in so many times, he finally came. And our house became haunted. Now, it's a rather interesting thing, but you know, your house can become haunted. It really can. Things can happen out of the, the uh, I, oh, I have experiences, the things that happen in our house that only you would believe. <laughs> I tell you, if I told them in the world, they'd say I'm nuts. But my, my boy, who was about 13 years old at the time, he's now going on, he's 17 now. Every night, now every night, he used to be wakened up by somebody pulling on his foot. Now, we, were, we realized what was going on. It was just some bad spirit waking him up every night. So we said, Peter, 
All you have to do is say, Spirit, go away. Leave me alone. And he will. And you know something? He'd wake up in the middle of the night. He'd say, Spirit, go away. Leave me alone. And the Spirit did, and he'd go back to sleep. And it solved our problem, didn't it? There was one time, oh, I tell you, there was one, let me just, I very briefly, because I don't want to take a lot of time with this, but there was one time that there was only one room in our house, which was my daughter's room. Now, that's a six-bedroom house. There was only one room in that house that was livable. Every other room had been struck by fire, by, de by destruction of some sort. And these were totally non-explainable things. The hot water heater. This is really an interesting thing. The safety of the hot water heater, the little valve there, was, was lifted off, placed on top of the hot water heater. The water shot up, hit the rafters, bounced into the dining room, crashed the ceiling down finally, ran into the living room and the TV room and the kitchen. The whole floor started to buckle and, the, and we were gone. That happened for two days. That was going on while we were in the Ocala Forest. And I came back and when Marky and I cleaned up the mess, it took us two days to do it, I found that thing sitting on top of the hot water heater. Well, suddenly I became aware of the fact that we were faced with problems a little bit larger than ourselves. So, naturally, the first thing I did was to call in a spiritualist to take care of the problem. And she came in, very well known locally, and, and uh, told us all kinds of things, you know. Identified what was going on and who was doing it and everything. And, and um, I'll tell you something. She was telling, she was telling facts as she saw them, but she was speaking, you know, there had been a death in that household and there had been a young child that had died. Well, well, we didn't even know those things, but she was identifying them while she was sitting there. And so we finally felt that we were in comfortable shape. My wife packed up, went to California, said to her sister, she said, Mary, I bet you don't believe this, and proceeded to tell her the whole thing that happened, and Mary sat there and said, oh yes, I believe that. And Carol said, you do? And he said, yes, that's Satan. <laughs> Suddenly, right at that moment, God convicted my wife. Right there. <laughs> she gathered up the children that were with her. I guess there were four or, four or five children with her. And she went into the bedroom. I have eight. So I, <laughs> she went into the bedroom and they all just knelt and prayed and accepted Jesus. Well, Carol came back and she was the epitome of the patient wife. I mean to tell you, for a year she strained with her husband. She came back and she said, Mark, we got to go back to church. And I said, fine, we'll go back to church. We naturally went right back to the Presbyterian church because that's where I was very comfortable. Well, my wife put up with that. Uh, we did go back and uh, I started attending a class and it's wonderful how God used people in that church to move me into certain areas. And, you know, and to finally... The, the Sunday school teacher that I had become very close to, an attorney here in town, took me to a prayer meeting. 
Well, you know, I had spent eight months in the Presbyterian Church saying, where is it? Where is what I need? I mean, there's that thing out there, all that going on in my house. Where is God? Well, this, I went to this prayer meeting. Met Al again for the first time in 12 years. We'd worked together back at Holloway Concrete Days, way back then. But what happened was that suddenly I began to see that there is something. You know, there is a supernatural power of God. But, you know, my wife, in the meantime, had gone through that entire house cleaning it out. Every day, every room, she would go through the house. She didn't really know what she was doing, except she knew she had to do something. And she went, and God just sort of led her into every room, and she prayed, and she, she just covered the house with the blood of the Lamb. And we didn't have any problems anymore. And you know, this has been an area of our ministry. God put us through all of that, because there are other people that are just hopelessly entangled that can't seem to get out until they finally talk to somebody who's lived through it. And how often that is. You know, you wonder why God's putting us through certain things, but He's got a purpose. Because there is an area of ministry that each one of us can have. And that's our basic experience. What He's allowed us to go through, what He's pulled us out of, in order that we may minister to other people who are stuck in the same quagmire that we were set in. You know, God uses us in, in wonderful ways. It's an amazing thing how He does and how His plan just works just so beautifully. But sometime three years ago in the month of June, I came to know the Lord after being in that prayer group for about six weeks. And I, I don't know exactly when. I didn't have any great lightning bolts, revelations, anything, but I did know that I had to tell my brother, whom I was in business with, I had to say, Hans, I think I'm a Christian. I told him that on June 1st. My other brother, Niels, I went to on July 1st, or somewhere, no, we were in Miami on the 4th, down weekend, and I said, Niels, I know I'm a Christian. And so sometime between the 1st of June and the 4th of July, I became a Christian. And, and, it was a, and, and what happened, the reason I had to tell him was because now I had an area of commitment in my life that was stronger than anything, any tie that I had with my brother, my, my physical brother. I said, I... I got to tell you, because if God wants to ship me out tomorrow, I'm gone. And that would have left things in pretty much of a mess. Continuing in the prayer group for another couple of months, at the end of August, I was, was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that, that was a very kind of Presbyterian kind of baptism I had, you know. It was really funny. I, I had read about it. I knew I had a grasp on what it was. But the way it was administered was, that's it. You got it, you know. 
for eight weeks I walked in that. For eight weeks I, I said, yes, I have it. Yes, it's mine. I'll tell you something. I had a, you know, I, my prayer language was, was just immediate and then was gone. And I, I just said, no, God isn't going to take that away from me. That's mine. I've got it. And I'll tell you something, I think that's where a lot of people, you know, they have an experience and they say, well, that really isn't real. You know, that's really not so. And, and heaven knows, coming from my background, you know, uh, I was looking for that. I was looking for the supernatural power of God, which I knew had to exist, because I'd seen all the rest of it. I knew it had to be there. So I said, okay, Lord, I accept it. I grab a hold of it. I walk in it. And for eight hard, long weeks, that's what I, until I be really began to flow. And you know, I've been doubly blessed because of that same prayer group, which lasted almost another year and a half. Gene Lilly came one night on his walker, scarcely able to move, and just, you know, and given his testimony of how great God was. And that was before Gene had been through his healing. And I had an opportunity to stand there and watch that happen in that man. And that was a fantastic thing. Al, in the other hand, was just, you know, he was the rock of that prayer group have problems, that's where you'd go. Everybody would go there. And what happened was the Lord put three very unlikely candidates together. It was Gene and Mark and Al as really the, the, the leadership of that particular prayer group. And we leaned upon one another tremendously. And Gene just, you know, with, with his exuberance, and it, it brought me into an area of ministry that I never thought that I would participate in at all. Never thought I'd participate. And, and so, we had some really wonderful and beautiful times in the Lord. And I had a maturing process that, again, because of the background that I'd been through, was probably accelerated more than m might be normal for, for a new Christian. And, and I had the support of, of, of tremendous, spiritual wealth around me that just poured into me and just helped me grow. Helped me grow. Well, during all of this, as all of this was going on, there were other things happening in my life of very spiritual nature, and I, I want to share some of those with you. A year after I'd received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, well, let me go back a little bit. Let me just tell you about, uh, you know, this is the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association. We better get to the business of the business. Uh, in 1960, my brother and I, Niels, my brother Niels and I, established an architectural engineering firm. He was an architect, I was an engineer. The two of us got together on January 1st. We said we form a partnership, and here we go. Uh... We weren't very good businessmen. We had no business background at all. Money was never very important to us. Never very important to us. If we had it, that was super. If we didn't, we'd get it. If we had a need, 
We'd work harder. That's all. We just work harder. And we found that that system worked very well. The reason I became an architect was because of my brother's driving. I felt that I had to protect the business and if, if something happened to him, I wouldn't have an architect to call my partner. So I just decided I'd become an architect so I wouldn't have to worry about that. So, well, it was sort of funny, but nothing ever happened. You know, God was with us through those growing years and he was doing a special thing with us. We attracted to our little community there, our business community, some very important people. They're very important in my life. Finally, there were five of us who grew very, very close together in the work discipline. Two of, us, two of them have since left. But through that experience, up until from 1960 to 1969, as we began to draw, draw closer and closer together, we began to recognize the, the spiritual relationship between human beings. It was just as simple as that. Jesus wasn't in it. God wasn't in it. Other than the presence of God in the spirit of man. As we began to relate to one another. Well, we saw that this was a good thing, so we felt we better organize it. <laughs> Get it on the road so we can capitalize on it. We felt that all of a sudden that money was going to buy us freedom. We're going to be able to do things that we've never been able to do before. So let's get this show on the road and get ourselves out there where, where things are going. Now, in 1960 to 1969, we grew to about 30 people. And we had a good, progressive organization. We didn't do work in this town for six months, because this town, I mean, for six years. Our first six years, this town was so provincial. We were... We were contemporary architects. We worked everywhere in the state, South Georgia, Alabama. We worked everywhere. We could count all the jobs in this town on two hands, counting residences in the first six years. Two of them were churches that Earl's familiar with. One's, one was the Rock House over at Calvary Assembly. And we weren't Christians. We've done 70 churches. I'm waiting to see what God does now that we're Christians. <laughs> but we grew, we grew steadily. We had a good machine going, a good business machine. And in 1969, we said, now it's time to move. We created the Environmental Design Group as a holding company. With it, we created six sister corporations. These corporations all served the construction industry in one way or another. This is the industry that we knew. Our borrowing capacity over the period of nine years, I did learn something about business. Learned usually in the hard way, you know, but, but I learned. And, and so we had, we had built a, a good credit line. We'd done all the things, good things that, the, you know, stable businesses do. And then we set out to conquer the world. At the height where we were, we had 108 people employed, a $3 million annual business. We, uh, uh, that 108 people doesn't count the, the unnumbered 
people out there in the construction industry who are actually working on the job that were employed by one of the corporations. But what happened in that process was very interesting. And I'm sure that God put me through this for a reason. I'm not quite sure what the reason is yet because he hasn't shown it to me. But, but what happened was those five men who were very, very close together, my brother and, and myself and the three others, became fragmented. This one went over to take care of that corporation. This one went over to serve that function. This one went to do that. I was sitting over here in these, this area. Niels was sitting over there. And, and we, didn't, we came together once a week just to find out what everybody was doing. We spend two hours come find out what everybody's doing. We go back and do our own thing again. And it was really an interesting kind of process. It was, an or, it was organizational chaos. We created the perfect corporate network. I mean to tell you, it was something like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, these corporations were established in such a way to take advantage of, uh, they, they were oriented really around the tax laws. That's how they were oriented. That was our objective, to make money. So if you have your objective to make money, you figure out the best way to do it. Well, in order to do that, what we did was we divided control of the various corporations. Ultimately, we lost one whole corporation, 30 people out the door, just walked out. And what we did was we started building another one to replace them, <laughs> right off the bat. And we did. We built it all the way up again. All the way up again. Yeah, I mean, signs and wonders. There was a sign out the door there. We should have recognized what was going to happen to us. But it was an interesting thing. Everybody had his place. The corporate network. I'm here. I can see who's there. I can see who's there. I see who's there. I see who's there. And that's all I needed to know. And you know something? Suddenly I became aware of the fact that that's the church. That's the church. You look at the hierarchy in any church. I don't care where it is or what it is. That's what you have. Funk, you got your place. You know where you are. All around you. And that's what, you know, and that's a, that, oh, that's bad. That's a syndrome that we have fallen into, and it's a, the great American way, you know. Free enterprise is the great American way. And that corporate, you know, that corporate posture that we're thrown into in the business world is stagnant. And we, I didn't realize that. All of a sudden, I found myself as president of seven corporations, you know, and dealing with problems that, that were so far outreaching that, you know, I'd make an assignment here, and I wouldn't hear about it for three weeks, expecting full well that that was taken care of, and coming to find out that there wasn't any way that that's going to be taken care of. Because whoever was supposed to take care of it was not proficient enough to, to do the job. And so... What happened in this whole course of events? Of course, we, did, we, we were faced with the, the turn down of the economy. That occurred. Right at the height of, 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 our, of our move into the uh, development field. Suddenly I found myself $5 million in debt. How does anybody allow somebody like me to get $5 million in debt? You know, bankers are crazy. <laughs> 
And you know, as I began to look at well over a million and a quarter of that was totally unsecured. Totally unsecured. And I said, you know, and that became a little heavy on me. During August of 1974, we still had 80 people, 85 people, I guess. We were moving along and, you know, still things were out there. They were going to be, the promise was there, you know. And on Labor Day of 1974, a year after I'd received the baptism in the Spirit, my daughter came into the kitchen, and I can't remember what she said, but it was something absolutely insignificant. But it tore me up. It just broke me to pieces. And I went to bed, and, and that was 8 o'clock in the evening. I sobbed, and I shivered, and I cried for God just to come to and put me out of my misery. I just didn't need it anymore. I was a broken, a completely broken man. And for someone who had always been self-sustaining for all his life, to come to that degree of total ineptness, of futility, of, of, of just, I felt like a drowning man that had just refused anymore to struggle. I'll tell you, that's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling. I got up the next morning after spending all night in bed and about four o'clock in the morning I went up to the Good Shepherd Chapel. Praise God for that chapel. I spent some wonderful hours in that chapel. But I went up there in order to see. I just wanted God to say, okay, Mark, you know, strike me down or anything. I didn't care at that point. I walked in that chapel door and I began to pray for two, two and a half solid hours. I prayed, I read the Bible, I, I did, I, oh wow, I was just, you know, and gradually, you know, gradually out of that, I must have been that far under when God started to pull me up. And I became lifted in that hour and a half, and hour, that two and a half hours, and finally I said, God, the business isn't worth anything. It isn't worth anything. I mean, what can you expect out of something like that? God, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'll give it to you. <laughs> I said, I can't give it all to you because I don't own it all, but you got all of mine anyway. And you know something? Then I said, now, God, it's your business. What do you want me to do about it? And, I, and, and you know when you've been praying a long time, when you've really been in the Word, God speaks to you. It's almost audible, you know, you can really feel absolutely sure you're, you know, God, is that you? Is that you? You know? And each thing that was told to me that morning, I just tested. I wasn't going to let Satan get anywhere around. I was continually covering myself with the blood, continually, you know, making sure that that spirit was real that I was hearing. And God told me, okay, Mark, you're going to do what's necessary to save the business. We want that business. I said, fine. Now you tell me what. And so I got some very specific direction as to what I had to do. 
The following week was Black Friday at our office. Uh, well, let me say this. That all that week, I, I was, I finally, you know, God led people to me to, to make me understand what I had really done in giving him that business. And, and all through that, all through that week, these people came to me and somehow just said the word that told me what I had done and where my commitment was. A month later, the same thing happened to my family. You know, I, I gave God the business, I gave him the house, I gave him the car, I gave him the whole thing, but I kept my family. You weren't going to get my family. <laughs> but God took that. You know, he just impressed upon me the very next month that I placed my wife and all those eight children just put them on the altar. Changed my whole relationship with my family. Fantastic what he does. Fantastic. But anyway, God took the business and we did certain things. We cut staff immediately. We turned back one whole development. We said, okay, gang, we're not going to pay the interest. We give it back to you if you want it. If not, foreclose, but it's dead. It's gone. It's yours. There's still $300,000 worth of equity in it. Take it. And they took it. And they're still got it up there two years later. We went down to clear up the, the whole Florida Center issue where we had a major development, $9 million development down there. They took that too. In two years' time, we find ourselves $200,000 in debt, all secured, all properly bound together, all taken care of. I find myself, beautifully enough, the one thing that we had done was go into business to make money so we'd be free. The one thing that happened to me is I haven't got any money. And I'm freer than I've been in my life. You know, and this isn't to say that God does that with everybody, because He doesn't. But because I had placed my priorities in a certain area, He said, Mark, sorry, but we're going to just take those things away from you. And I stood up a year ago and said to my, to my employees at that time, the people who were working for me, because they were still working for me then. Now I 